1914, an Irish man named Ernest Shackleton received funding for a daring trip to navigate the entire length of the continent of Antarctica. This daring mission of complete and utter suffering in freezing weather, battling storms and icebergs, would need only the most capable and competent men. To find these 28 men, he opened up an ad in the newspaper. This is what it read. Men wanted for hazardous journey. Low wages, bitter cold, long hours of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful, honour and recognition in event of success. Ernest Shackleton, 4 Burlington Street. This ad would receive over 5,000 applicants. Shackleton would conduct interviews, most lasting less than 30 seconds. He was an amazing judge of character, and he knew that he needed men that could handle months of prolonged agony and pain. One physician who applied was simply asked, can you sing? Or he needed to know if he would get along with the other sailors. One man, Leonard Hussey, had just returned from an anthropological mission in Sudan. He was asked to march up and down the room. Shackleton merely said, yes, I like you, I'll take you. When he asked later why Shackleton chose him, he replied, I thought you looked funny. Despite his eccentric methods of choosing, Shackleton really did pick a team of extraordinary men. They would need this level of endurance because they were caught in an ice floe and their ship became stuck in the ice. This began a harrowing ordeal which lasted around 627 days of being trapped in the most inhospitable places on earth. Men lost limbs, survived on penguins and seals, and spent months in never-ending darkness. To the men's credit, they somehow made it out alive. Not a single soul was lost. Now what compels a man to forsake comfort and ease, their warm fireplace, their cosy bed, and march out into the dangerous unknown? What causes a man to willingly endure suffering with a cheerful attitude and without complaint? Well, Shackleton's ad said it all. Honour and recognition in event of success. Peter is speaking today to a group of Christians who have heard the call of God to forsake goods and kindred and to march into the great task of discipling the nations. Chosen exiles. There will be suffering, trials, ordeals and grief, and yet in the midst of it all, immense joy. Why? Because the Christian knows the glory that awaits them. The well done, good and faithful servant. As Peter says in 1 Peter 5.4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. To each and every one of us, God has given gifts according to his purpose and will. He expects us to turn a profit on it and to do so under fire from the enemy. And if we have the right expectations, we will love the suffering in a way that can't be expressed to the outsider. I have three points. Number one, trials don't intimidate the Christian. Number two, glory awaits those who enter the fray. And number three, love motivates people to endure. So let's get into our passage. We're going to be reading from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 to 9. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. 
Well, Peter starts with, in this you rejoice. Rejoice in what? Well, you have to look at what Peter said beforehand. We are born again to a living hope, an unfading, undefiled inheritance kept safe and secure in an uncertain world. It's the hope and assurance that each Christian looks towards, the moment when we are face to face with God. However, for a little while, some Christians are grieved by various trials. Now, Peter also qualifies it with the phrase, if necessary. That is to say that not every Christian goes through the same trial or even goes through trials at all. Suffering for one's faith might happen depending on the circumstances of a situation, but some will have a hard life. Others will have an easier life. Peter acknowledges that many of these Christian men and women have been grieved. That means brought to sorrow. They have misery. They have distress. These trials take many different forms. For some of these Christians, it might have meant death. For others, it might have meant being disowned by your family, prosecution by the state. Your belongings might get stolen. Others faced mocking in the street. And others might have just a few mean comments here and there. Now, we all know the life we want. We want the easy life. We want the life without challenges, where we get what we want, where we are prosperous, happy, well-adjusted, content. And yet Peter seems to indicate that the easy life isn't the most preferable life. Now, we all know people that have had easy lives. These people can be some of the most insufferable and arrogant people we'll meet. And yet those who have had tough lives are often quite humble. This is, of course, if they haven't developed a victim complex. The trials and tests have proved certain qualities about them. Now, Peter compares this to gold. If you find a nugget of gold, it doesn't come like those beautiful bars you see in the banks. It is covered in rocks, mud, and other minerals. In order to purify the gold and turn it into a bar, you have to put it through a furnace. The incredibly hot temperatures burn away the dross and cause it to separate from the gold. Peter says that our faith can be proven genuine through this. Trials remove the dross, the worthless material in our lives, and purifies the good that God has built into us. He uses the phrase, tested genuineness. You know your faith is the kind of faith that saves because this faith is precious. A faith that can't be tested, can't be trusted. A faith that crumbles at the first sign of resistance wasn't saving faith. Yet the faith that stands the test of the furnace, the cold dreaded journeys, the harsh environment of the battlefield, that tested battleforged faith has revealed our genuineness in Christ. And that leads me to my second point. Number two, glory awaits those who enter the fray. When you sign up for the adventure and challenge of the Christian life, you sign up for the trials and ordeals that come with discipling the nations to obedience in Christ. Now, you can bet that the sinful, corrupt world we live in is not going to give up their futile ways without a big fight. And this fight is the testing fire for the Christian man and woman. When you push back against the kingdom of darkness, you can expect to have a target on your back. The battle starts as soon as you sign up for the kingdom. When you decide to go a different way to your family and be joined to Christ, it might result into some awkward conversations. But in the case of some families, it might lead to deadly conflict. Becoming a Christian in a secular family might get you called names like bigot or all sorts of phobia. And yet, if you became a Christian in Iran or Syria, you might lose your very life. Yet men and women make the decision to follow Christ despite the risk and despite the loss. Why? Because our faith, here in Peter says may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ. This is something that evangelical Christians don't emphasize much. And that's the idea that God will confer praise and glory and honor to those who belong to Him. 
Now, if you've got good theology, you'll know that one of the five solas is soli deo gloria, glory to God alone. And that phrase doesn't mean that there is no other glory anywhere except in God. The sun, the moon, the stars have glory. Men are called the image and glory of God in 1 Corinthians 11. But what the phrase does mean is that ultimately all things funnel up to heaven and glorify God. That's why Jesus can rebuke the Pharisees in John chapter 5. He says this, John 5:44. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? The Pharisees sought the praise of men rather than the praise of God. They wanted pats on the head, awards, recognition, honor, and respect from their fellow men. The thought process went, if men honored them, then therefore God must honor them too. Glory from men is worthless. And yet, for Jesus, the approval of God, the glory, the only glory that comes from God, is of infinite importance. In the parable of the talents, Jesus tells the story of how talents of gold are given to three servants according to their ability. One receives five, another two, and another one talent. The first two servants doubled their talent of gold. And the master says this to them, Matthew 25, 21. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Peter is saying this. To those who stand firm in trial and push forward with the message of the gospel and make a return to Jesus with their life, those men and women will receive the praise and glory and honor that only God can give. They will receive a well done, good and faithful servant. Now this will happen at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When the books are opened and the living and the dead stand before the Lord. When we stand before the Lord and he praises us for our labors in the kingdom. Remember, our good works don't earn our salvation before God. But God does reward those who work their talents and build a return with glory. But we don't care necessarily about this glory unless we first care about God. And that's my third point. Love motivates people to suffer. The Christian doesn't strive merely because they think they will receive praise from God. The Christian strives because they love Jesus. Listen to Peter. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We seek honor from those we love. Those whom we don't respect nor love, their honor is virtually meaningless to us. The reason the Christian believes in and rejoices in Christ is because they love him. His praise and his honor is more valuable to the Christian than anything else. No gold or silver, no prestige or prominence, no status or comfort compares to the love we have for Christ. Peter, who is an apostle of Jesus, who walked alongside Jesus, is just blown away by how many people love Jesus even though they have not met him as Peter had. As you listen to the language of this letter, you can tell just how dumbfounded he is that these Jews and Gentiles from Pontus and Cappadocia, Bithynia, Asia, Galatia, not only follow Jesus but love him as he does. They have never seen him in the way that Peter did, but they love him all the same. And they will not be let down. They obtain, they're obtaining the end result, their salvation. The process of being saved, being rescued from entangling sin, but also rescued entirely from sin into eternity. There is no fear in the Christian of Judgment Day. 
because Jesus, whom they love, has died in their place. They can have a joy and a peace in a world of turmoil and bloodshed and be filled with glory that comes from God because they have one thing, Jesus and his kingdom. This hope of life is what drives us forward into the breach. It's what causes us to bring Jesus glory and honor. As we build our lives and families and businesses and cities and politics all into submission and subjection to the one true King, Jesus Christ. This is what powers a mother to wrestle with the little sinners in her home and the sinners in her own heart, knowing that these little souls will become big souls and her labors will contribute to the good of the kingdom or for the ill. She marches into those trenches that are closest to home, knowing that she is producing a household of glory in the name of Jesus. This is what enables a business owner to pursue excellence in their vocation, building businesses that operate under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, employing many families and building long-term wealth and prosperity to their communities, financing kingdom work and supporting righteous political undertakings. Empty nesters use their skills and abilities to bless the mothers who are still in the trenches. Retired men give their expertise and discipleship to the younger, leaving more than just a monetary legacy but a spiritual one. Children grow up to love God, take the baton, and push the boundaries further and further into the darkness. And in this we rejoice, although we may face trials for a little while. Why do Christians do this? All because of love. All to please their Lord in heaven, not as a way to earn salvation, but as an act of love to the Savior. The Christian ultimately wants nothing more than to hear the beautiful words, Well done, good and faithful servant. Think about Ernest Shackleton and his voyage. What compelled 5,000 men to apply for a treacherous journey to the South Pole? Honour and recognition in event of success. The same is true for the Christian. When the Holy Spirit causes a new believer to be born again, they too endeavour a treacherous journey in life. Yet not for the praise and recognition of those in the world like Shackleton's men, but for the praise, recognition and honour that only comes from their God in heaven. So Christian, jump into the mission of discipling the nations. Who will disciple the Hunter Valley into obedience to Christ if not for you? Who will teach them to observe all that Christ has commanded us if we do not do it? God doesn't need us, but he has placed us here. Will we bury our talents or turn a profit on them? I know there will be plenty of suffering and hardship, just like any adventure worth undertaking. Yet there is joy and glory available to those who hear the call and sign up. No trial ahead of us can intimidate us if we fix our eyes solely on Jesus. Our love for him will power us and help us forward. That is my three points. Number one, trials do not intimidate the Christian. Number two, glory awaits for those uh, glory awaits those who enter the fray. Number three, love motivates people to endure. Turn a bigger profit on those talents God has given you. Do not count yourself out. You probably already know that God wants you the thing that God wants you to pursue, and don't wait for a future moment. The time is now. Get into it. Get your hands dirty. There is much fruitful work for every Christian to undertake. Dive in knowing that the glory, that glory awaits those who enter the fray.